Dr. John DeGarmo is going to share everything you wanted to know or need to know about foster care, adoption, even human trafficking, and of course, parenting. And for those of you who have suffered the loss of a child to death, he is also going to share his story of when he lost his child. This is going to be a packed podcast today. One thing about Dr. DeGarmo that I really want to share with you, and that is, not only did he lose a child, but he is going to show us how you can start living again. And that is something that the whole world needs to hear, the message of hope, the message that John is going to bring us today. Have you ever felt like giving up? quitting, throwing in the towel. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Garmo is an international expert on foster care. He is also the author of several books and he has appeared on CNN, Good Morning America, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, PBS. He is an expert and I'm so excited to have him here because we have many questions and we want to hear his story which is going to compel us to share it. Thank you, Dr. John, for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Right. So let's start with the journey that took you from being a regular guy (laughs) to a foster parent. You and your wife have fostered over 60 children. I can't even wrap my head around that. Tell us also, did you have many at the same time? Were they just one at a time? I know that you've adopted some of those children, but let's start the journey with how you got involved. Sure, sure, absolutely. So, you know, I never planned on it. It was something I never really considered or thought about. Um, I I believe the myths out there about foster parenting that so many in our society believe that, A, the kids are bad kids, B, foster parents are weird people. Well, that part's kind of true. We've got to be weird to do what we do. Uh, But I I never thought about doing it. Never really on my radar. It wasn't until, yeah, it wasn't until the death of my first child from a condition called anencephaly or some pronounce it anencephaly. It's a condition where the brain or the skull never truly formed. Oh. And my wife was in labor for 92 hours. 92? 92 hours, right? Oh, my goodness. I turned my back on a lot of things in life afterwards. My wife, she grieved in a healthy fashion. I did not. I, I did not. I immersed myself, threw myself in work, tried to busy myself. I felt that I had to be strong for my wife. I, you know, 
I felt that men did not cry. It was a sign of weakness. You know, how silly was I at that time? I just turned my back on my faith and so many things in life. And then we moved back to the United States. My wife's from Australia. We moved back to the U.S. And then I started teaching in a rural high school in middle Georgia. Uh, and a lot of is a is a town filled with apathy, a town filled mm. with poverty, a uh, town filled with small town of generational generational apathy, generational poverty. And a lot of my kids were coming through my high school classroom that I was noticing that had issues of attendance, issues of ad- academics, issue of behavior. And I continue to ask myself over and over again, what is it with this small town? Why are there so many children who are like this? Hmm. And then I started meeting their birth parents. And I realized, oh, yes, it starts in the home, starts in the home. Let me stop you there for just a moment. Explain that statement. It starts in the home. Well, you know, so many children in our society today don't have stability, don't have structure. But more importantly, they don't have unconditional love. They don't have somebody who loves them unconditionally. Uh They don't have support. They don't have, um, you know, a moral upbringing. They don't have somebody who is guiding them. They don't learn the importance of consequences to their choices in life. I was meeting these kids left, right, and center. So I went home to my wife one day, and I said to her, hey, I got this student in my high school. She's a senior, and she is pregnant with triplets. And I said, and I know the environment that the mother is living in, soon-to-be mother, and I recognize it was one of tremendous neglect and, and abuse. And I recognize that these babies are not going to, you know, thrive. So mm. I said to my wife, I said, you know, what happened? What if, what if I brought these, these triplets home? And my wife looked at me and she said, well, as long as you change diapers. <laughs> and uh, I, I wish I'd listened to her then because we went about, we went about 20 years straight in our house with at least one child in diapers. In fact, at one point we had, <laughs> at one point we had seven in diapers in our house at one point. Which, uh, which really should be illegal in all 50 states. That was, that's, that's insane. <laughs> no kidding. So that led to foster parenting. That led to getting my doctorate in it, writing the books. Now I travel the nation and globe working with foster care and child welfare programs, help combat human trafficking, work with legislators to reform it. Uh, I've had as many as 60 kids come through my home over the years. Um, and, and we've had as many as 11 at the same time in the house. We've been blessed to adopt three. We've also suffered the heartbreak of four failed adoptions as well. So, you know, we've, we've run the gamut, if you will, of emotions. Uh, the most, most challenging thing I've ever done, same time, the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Okay. Let's back up a little bit. Uh, first of all, I want to ask you what happened to those triplets. Did you adopt the three triplets? No, no, we didn't adopt them. The ones that we adopted were were former foster kids of ours. They were in foster care in our house at some point, and their parental rights were terminated. It's known as TPR, termination of parental rights. And that happens when a child is placed into a foster care environment for abuse or for neglect or for abandonment, whatever it might be. During the time they're in place in the foster home, the birth parents or biological family members have a time frame where they have to undergo a series of parenting classes. They had to show stability. They had to show you know, um, financial stability, housing, past drug testing, that kind of thing. And if they should not do so in the allotted time frame, then there's something known as termination of parental rights, TPR. At that point, okay. at that point, they look for any relative who might adopt the child. And if that's not the case, then there is um, adoption. Now, are you on a 
is there a list of prospective foster parents that you on or you sign up with an agency so you, you if you're interested in foster parenting then you contact your local agency whether it's a state one or a private one whether it's a, a faith-based one or non-faith-based and you and you go through a number of classes and they do a series of background checks and then once you are licensed then you wait for the phone call. And I'm assuming that it is an emotional roller coaster. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Explain uh, that a little bit. Sure, sure. The most emotionally challenging thing I've done. Absolutely, it surely is. Uh, yeah, when a child comes to our home, they need, I think, three things mainly. They need stability. They need structure. But what they need more than anything else is that unconditional love. They need someone to love them with all their heart, all that we have. Because we might be the first person who's ever given them the type of love. So when they do leave, for whatever reason it might be, yeah, our hearts break because it's like losing our own child. It's like losing a family member. And foster parents experience feelings of grief and loss over and over and over again. Because we become so attached to these children, we give them so much love that they need. And it hurts when they leave. But, you know, at the same time, I really think that's a, a wonderful gift. Because we might be the first person who's ever cried over these children. We might be the first person who's ever uh. grieved. We might be the first person who's ever loved them so much. Um, and so they take that with them. And how did your own children handle the different transitions when you got children into your home and et cetera? How did, how did you cope with that? And what do, you, what do you recommend to parents who are considering fostering children who might have their own children as well? Well, my children, it's basically all they've known. You know, my oldest children grew up with it. And my youngest children, it's all they've known. So it's their norm. It's my children's norm to have kids in and out of the house at all times. You know, siblings, sisters and brothers. Is it always easy for them? No. Sometimes it's hard for them because sometimes it's a challenging fit. Sometimes it's a challenging placement. Remember, when these kids are placed into our home, they don't want to be there. They don't want to be in my house. I can offer them wonderful opportunities. I can offer them incredible stability, structure, love. But at the end of the day, we're strangers to these kids. They don't know us. They, they're confused. They're scared. They're frightened. They're filled with many, many questions. Why am I here? When do I go home? When do I see mommy next? Do mommy love me anymore? Did I do something wrong? So they have those questions. So it takes time for them to, to trust, to learn that, okay, I'm not going to be hurt here. Okay. Maybe I'll be safe here. Maybe these people like me. Maybe they love me. Maybe this is what love is like. So it takes time for them to, to adapt. But my children have been wonderful. You know, they have, um, it's been wonderful. There's a type of a therapy that I often support, play therapy. And my children have been wonderful playmates for these kids. You know, for my older ones, they love the babies. They love holding the babies and, you know, feeding the babies. You know, when a child comes to our home, pretty quickly they're surrounded by kids who want to play with them. And that's, that's a, a mm, good way to yes. breaking down. But yeah, it can be hard. And so we often t surround it. We have little powwows or meetings, if you will, before placement and say, okay, here's, here's the situation. This is why the child might be coming to our home. How do you feel about it? Will you be okay about this? And if they have concerns, we listen to them, of course. And sometimes we say no to the placement because it may not be the best fit for our family or... Our family might not be the best fit for that child. But you know what? My, my children may never be foster parents, but I believe that every one of them will lead a life of service of some yes, kind. Yes, I can see you that. Know, yeah. my, my children have, have experienced and have been exposed to so much that the average child or the average person, if you will, average adult even, 
has never experienced. And so my kids have seen up close, they've lived with what trauma looks like. They've lived with what human trafficking looks like. They've lived with what child abuse or abandonment looks like. And that's made them much more protective of others, much more compassionate. And they all, they all help out others when they can. And I think that's because of their years as foster siblings in a foster home. What is usually the average length of time that they stay, like the shortest to the longest? Well, we've had kids in our house from as little as one day to as, to as long as almost two years. Uh, the average child remains in foster care roughly 18 months. Some much longer. Some will stay in foster care until they transition out or they age out of the system and never get adopted. You know, every year there's, there's roughly 125,000 children up for, for adoption through the foster care system who never get adopted. So sadly, tragically, some of them will never find a permanent home. And so if they never find a permanent home, why are they moved from a foster care home or do you not move them until they do find a permanent home or their home to go back, their original home to go back? Some might move because the foster parents are no longer able to be foster parents anymore, maybe due to health reasons or maybe they move out of the state. Some children may be moved because their birth parents may move to another area and they have to remain in close proximity. Some might move because they are challenging to the foster home. The foster home might not have the skills or the resources or the support service to care for that particular child because of their behavioral or anxiety issues. Some might go back home. 50% of kids in foster care are reunified, which is the end goal. Reunification is the end goal. Oh, wonderful. But of that 50%, 20 to 30% come back into care because their family members are not ready yet. Their family members are not prepared yet. They don't have their support services in place yet. They've not gotten the help they need. And so the 20 to 30% come back into care far more traumatized, filled with far more anxiety and issues of trust. So, you know, they might struggle in a foster home and, and as, a, as a result, may be moved from home to home to home as a result. Tragically, so sad. So if someone was considering becoming a foster parent, with the experience that you've had, What type of person do you think would be a good candidate? And also, what kind of tools or resources do they have other than the particular agency they may be with? Sure, great question. So you don't have to have a big home. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to have a lot of money. You don't even have to be married. You know, a lot of single foster parents, a lot of older foster parents in their 70s. Uh, I've met many in their 70s, many in their 20s. You're Uh, kidding. Oh, no, my goodness. No, no. I know of one couple in the 70s, and all they do is foster terminally ill babies. And they just rock these babies oh, and rock these bears until, until these babies die um, because they're terminally ill. But they had to have some place to go, some place to love them. So, you know, you just have to have a heart for children. You have to have a compassion for children. You have to want to help. And you also have to have to make sure you've got some type of support service in place. Because foster parenting is a unique lifestyle that truly no one understands or appreciates. When you have kids in your home who are filled with trauma, who have issues of anger or eating disorders or sleeping disorders, who have issues of behavior orders, emotional problems, whatever it might be, it really is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job. So you've got to have some type of support service in place, whether it's a faith-based group, whether it's a foster parent support group or something like that. And then you've got to have the support of your family. I often tell people if they're considering becoming foster parents, the first thing they have to do is sit down with their their spouse or their partner and make sure both are on board. Because if one wants to do it and another doesn't want to do it, 
then you can't do it. You just can't do it. Absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about conflict. I'm sure that uh, people are probably asking this question in the back of their mind, how to deal with conflict in this situation, whether it's between siblings or, well, you just mentioned like the husband and wife. I, I think that's an issue that's probably completely separate. But especially with coming into a home where the lifestyle is going to be very different, what tips would you give someone who's considering being a foster parent and how they can create an atmosphere that would not conflict with the siblings or whatever. I'm not sure. I think you understand what I'm trying to ask you and and however you want to answer that, please. <laughs> you had to be very patient and very understanding. You know, many times the children come in our home and they may resist all that we offer them. And I understand. I had a I had a 17-year-old come to our house and she had been her parents were killed when she was 19. I'm sorry, when she was 9 in another country, in Romania. And three families over the course of nine years all adopted her, all sexually abused her, and all gave her back to the state in the name of family, in the name of unconditional love. So when she came to our house, age 17 years of age, she was incredibly resistant to everything that we had to offer, tremendously so. And as far as she should, she should. You know, she, she had issues of trust and well, she should. So, you know, we had to be, we had to be very, very patient, very understanding and just be consistent in our love. There's where that unconditional love comes through. You know, these kids may call us bad names, swear, curse at us, throw things at us, but they don't do it at us. They do it because they're so overwhelmed uh-huh, with their uh-huh. emotions. They don't know how to process these emotions that they're experiencing, that they're feeling, feelings of emotions of fear and of, of concern, of questions, of anxiety, etc. They don't know how to process it properly. So they lash out or they withdraw or they withdraw. So, you know, there's that patient, there's that understanding. Also therapy, professional therapy, professional counseling, not only for the child, but sometimes for the family as well. And then finally, you've got to find time for yourself. You have to carve out time for yourself because if you don't care for yourself, then there's no way you can care for these children who need you. You did adopt how many of the foster children that you had? We've adopted three. And and why those three and why not some others? Well, because those three had their parental rights terminated, termination of parental rights. And and we had four others who had termination of parental rights for, for whatever reason it might be their adoption fell through or was sabotaged or whatever it might be. Uh, heartbreaking. We tried to, you know, but it just did not work out for, for tragic reasons, really. Uh, the other ones all went back to their birth parents or kinship, you know, relatives, grandparents, aunts, uncles. Some even transitioned and aged out of the system. But those are the only three that we are able to adopt. And give us one really big highlight something that just made all the years of doing this worthwhile. Is there any one experience that stands out in your mind? Sure, I'll give you two very quickly. Okay. We had a nine-year-old who was with us. He was actually here with his 10 and seven-year-old brother. The 10 and seven-year-old gravitated towards us very quickly. The nine-year-old was filled with lots of anger, lots of doubt, lots of guilt. He felt that he was at fault. And he never really showed any type of kindness towards my wife and I. Always standoffish, had emotional walls in front of him, which is understandable. And the very, very last day he was with us, after almost six months, uh, he went went up to my wife and he said these four words that broke my wife's heart. And the first four words he ever said to her, basically, they were, Mommy, I love you. 
And oh, that was. Oh my goodness. The other one, the the seventeen year old girl I, I mentioned to you who had been raped by three different families through adoption, she is now a caseworker, and we're now grandparents to her child. <laughs> grandparents who are children so. right 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 oh yeah. that's awesome still a member of our still very much a member of our family oh that's incredible well this has been enlightening and exciting and when we come back after a short break i want to ask you about human trafficking because you have mentioned that a couple times so we will be right back stay tuned carol graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir battered hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. On the bio that you sent, you talked about human trafficking and you mentioned it today. What's your involvement and what can you share with us? Roughly there are 300,000 children who are victims of human trafficking every single year in our nation. That means it happens in every single community. That means it happens in every single neighborhood. These are children who are very, very vulnerable, children who want uh, to believe that someone actually loves them, children who run away to predators who target them and lure them in and, and groom them with false promises. It happens everywhere. You know, again, in every nation, it's America's ugly secret. It's a multi-billion dollar business in our nation. And with our new presidential administration, opening up the border is much easier for people to come across. The cartels are flooding over with children who are victims of human trafficking. Little, little children some as young as six and seven and eight years of age being sold for sex 12 times a day, seven oh times goodness. a week. Oh my um, word. And, and again, it's happening very much easier right now because the borders are open. So it's something that's, that's uh, very relevant in our nation yet. We don't want to recognize it. I, uh, I work hard to fight against it because some of my children have come through my home, have big victims as well. And how do you fight against it? <laughs> I work with legislators uh, on, on creating policy. I speak out, I write about it, I bring awareness to it. I, I work with child welfare programs to strengthen it. I teach others how to, to spot it and how to help those victims, a number of ways. And you are also a consultant to foster care agencies, child welfare organizations, and legal firms. Tell us about that, please. Well, child welfare programs, foster care agencies, they hire me to help train their staff or how to train their foster parents or provide resources or to create programs, a number of things. And that's how I'm able to travel the nation and the globe doing so. Really, really enjoy doing that. Now, you also have authored several books. Tell us a little bit about those. And I think you have two in particular that you wanted to share today. Yeah, I, you know, I, I never thought I'd write a book. But here I am, 11 books later, and uh, <laughs> probably going to write some more. I have a number of books. You know, there. The one's called, the first one, which is a bestseller, is called Fostering Love, One Foster Parent's Journey. I wanted to write a book that really showed and brought insight into what being a foster parent is really like. 
you know, all warts uh, along with it. You know, the joys, the challenges, the triumphs, the failures, the success, the, the sorrows, the grief, um, and the humor involved in it. Because let me tell you, it's, it's, uh, sometimes you just have to uh. grin and bear it as a foster parent. When you have seven kids in diapers in your house and you're late to work again because you, you're changing diapers and you continue to get messy, uh, you know, it's kind of funny sometimes. <laughs> You know, for people of faith, I wrote a book called The Church and Foster Care. It's how I, I firmly believe that the next mission field for faith-based organizations and people of faith in our nation is the one in their own neighborhoods, is the one in their own communities, and that is the foster care system. You know, we don't have to go to other countries to find children in crisis. Uh, so that's a book that's filled with strategies and solutions and tips on how churches and faith-based organizations across the nation can create their own foster care ministries. Do you speak to these organizations as well? I do, I do. I, I train lots of churches and faith-based organizations. In fact, just earlier today, I was working with one out of California. And now tell us about, you have a program where you train speakers. So how did you get involved with that? What is involved? How can it help anyone in our audience who may be interested in doing something as, as you are a TEDx speaker? So a little bit about that journey, please. Well, thank you. Thank you. I love speaking. I absolutely love speaking on stage. I've spoken as long as eight hours a day one day for a training <laughs> hour. And to me, it feels like eight minutes. It just flies by. I just have so much fun doing it. And uh, I tell lots of stories and engage the audience. And I have found the audiences filled with laughter and filled with tears and learn at the same time. And I've had so many people ask me over the years, you know, after they saw my TEDx, hey, I want to do that. How do I do that? How do I do that? So I thought to myself, well, I wish someone had taught me so now I know what to do, how to do it. Uh, I want to share that with others. So I consult, I act as a personal coach, if you will, not only for people who want to become professional speakers, I work alongside them, also people who want to become successful authors as well, how to not only write a book, but publish it and promote it and, you know, get in the bestseller list, so to speak. And how do people contact you? Is it strictly through your website? Is it virtual or, or do you only do it locally? No, no, we do it virtually. We do it uh, online, other phone calls or for video conferences. Um, and people can just find me. They just If they just search online for Dr. John DeGarmo, foster care expert, my website will come up there. And there's there, there are links there on how to uh, how me to be their professional coach. And tell us what your TEDx was about. Did you only do it the one time? Did it the one time, working on a second one right now. I loved it. It was so much fun, so much fun. Uh, great honor as well. It was about a young girl who came to our house and we were, she was with us for almost two years and we were planning to adopt her. And uh, within 20 out, 24 hours, she was, uh, she left her home, was moved to a, and an uncle in another state whom she'd only met once in her life. Uh, this is a couple days before Christmas and ended up in a very, very tragic, heartbreaking situation that haunted me for years, literally haunted me for almost a decade. So I shared that story in my TEDx and the end talk about ways how people, not everybody can be a foster parent. I completely understand that. It's the hardest thing I've done. Again, most rewarding thing, but so difficult. But I also know that everybody can help a child in crisis in some way. And at the end of the TEDx, I share ideas on how people can do just that. Give us some of those, please. Oh yeah, sure. Well, when the children come to our home, many times they're they come with just a clothes in their back or if they have any belongings that might be stuffed in a black plastic bag. So people can deliver 
backpacks filled with hygiene items to foster care agencies in their area or backpacks filled with school supplies. They can they could donate brand new suitcases to these children. So when they do leave the foster home to wherever they go, they don't have to do it in a black plastic bag, which translates to them as I'm worth trash. It gives Aww. them something, it gives them it gives them a sense of dignity. Uh, they can provide meals to their foster care agencies and foster parents. I remember when we had uh, uh, five kids arrive, which brought it to nine one time, and uh, we had somebody at our church bring over meals for the first week. That was tremendously helpful. Tremendously helpful. Uh, they can, they, if they had their own business, they can hire youth in foster care and begin to teach them important uh, work skills and social skills. Those are just a few of the many, many ways people can help children in foster care where they live. I have a feeling, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, please, that there is fear involved with fostering children, that some people may just, they would like to, but they're afraid maybe of having the strange children in their homes, etc. How do you address that? You know, and I, I believe that as well. I used to have that misconception. That's the misconception. That was the main misconception I had before as a foster parent. But I can assure, reassure you that these are simply children who are afraid, children who have been abused, children neglected, children abandoned, children who have had no one to say, I love you and to comfort them and to help them. These are children who are frightened and these are children who need someone to make the sacrifice to help them. And, you know, uh, my heart has grown so much. Every child that's come in through my home, every 60 plus child. Uh, has made me a better person in some way. Oh my goodness, that's amazing! What a what a testimony! That's fantastic, and I'm I assume that your wife feels one hundred percent the same as you do. She does, yes. And you already mentioned how your your own children have grown from this and will become better people as a result. Yes, yes, that's that's right. So, anything you want to say in in closing, possibly to summarize, to encourage, to make whatever point that you would like to make regarding any of the things that we talked about today. You know, we talk a lot about wanting to change the world. Well, here's the truth. I can't change the world and you can't change the world. And the people listening to this this uh, interview can't change the world. But when we bring children into our home who are filled with anxiety, who have been traumatized, when we bring them into our home and we love them, their world is changed. We can't change the world, but for these children, their world is changed. Mm. Very well said. My heart just can't get, you know, it's like when we hear somebody like you share and you, your heart just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm, I can't begin to imagine when you're actually in the center of it and you look back and you see the changes you've made in people's lives. I think the saying goes that we all influence at least seven people in our lives. And when we become foster parents, that has to quadruple many times over mm -hmm. because it's extended as well. It's not just that child, but what that child becomes and how they will become a better person and help more. I mean, it it's endless. I can't imagine doing anything more fulfilling I'm sure there are but just in what you shared today more fulfilling than helping create a new life for these children who did not know what living was before they became foster children right right amen amen 
for that. I applaud you. I'm excited to share your story here today, the interview, and also to be sure and have the audience read your books if they're at the least bit interested in becoming foster parents. And what are your other books about? Because you only basically mentioned as far as the, you know, the foster care. Are they all regarding foster care? Are there other things as well? They're regarding foster care, but there's some others that people can pick up that will certainly relate to them. There's Keeping Foster Children Safe Online, which is a, a book for any mm. parent today, anybody who has, anybody who cares for children, whether it's grandchildren, nieces, nephews, their own children. It's a book filled with the dangers that that exist today in social media and how to protect those children. Foster children are just particularly at risk. Um, if someone's a teacher or works in a school system, there's helping foster children in school. 55% of kids in foster care will drop out of school. Again, my book, Fostering Love, One Foster Parent's Journey, is just a an emotional read for anybody who is a uh, you know, even interested in helping children. Have you written a memoir at all? That's it. That is it. Okay. And there's a sequel called Love and Mayhem. And what was Uh, the, what was the memoirs title? The two memoirs are Fostering Love, One Foster Journey, and the sequel is called Love and Mayhem, One Big Family's Uplifting Story of Fostering and Adoption. And And that is is your family, I'm assuming. Yes, ma'am. And those are all available at the Foster Care Institute. Okay, and those links will all be available. This is exciting. I can't, (laughs) I just don't want to let you go. (laughs) You know, can you give us one more story, one more uplifting story to to summarize everything that you've shared today as far as just something unique possibly, if you can think of something. Oh, we had a four-year-old girl come to our house, raped over and over and over again from a grandfather. He's actually the father of the children because he had been raping his own daughter to produce children. And um, she came to our house and could not speak one word, just pointed to her mouth and grunted, uh, just grunted. And when she left our home, boy, I miss her today. When she left our home, not only could she uh, read and write and spell and speak pretty clearly, uh, I, I remember when we took her to Disney World. I remember we took her to Disney World, and when Cinderella bent down and took her hand, that girl broke into the biggest smile of healing that I'd ever seen. You know, it, it's it is a beautiful moment to watch a child learn how to smile or watch a child learn how to laugh, and that's what we did with this little girl. We we and when she was with us. She experienced so much trauma beforehand, but she learned how to laugh at our house. And that was a gift for me. No kidding. That's amazing. And speaking of Disneyland, didn't you win a trip as a result of an award? We did. We were the uh, Good Morning America Ultimate Hero Award. And and we were blessed to go to on a Disney cruise. Oh, my goodness. That must have been fun. Were you able to take any of the kids? We took six kids with us. <laughs> Oh, that's really wasn't a vacation for my wife and I, but it sure was a lot of fun, though. No kidding. No kidding. Well, thank you, Dr. John DeGarmo, for joining Never Ever Give Up Hope today. This is just so inspiring. There's not really an adjective to explain, you know, what I'm feeling. I'm just so happy for what you are doing. And when you said about the parents or the grandparents, well, the elder, the elderly people in their seventies who were still fostering. I thought, aha, 
I wonder how many people in our audience could even consider this in their golden years. I think that's an awesome opportunity, and I thank you for bringing that to our attention. So, my thank you again. If there's any other words you'd like to share before saying goodbye, otherwise, we will thank you for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope and appreciate everything that you shared today. Anything else, John? Well, you know, right now, as we're having this conversation, there's a child right now who has given up hope, who's given up hope, and we can provide them that hope. We give them that hope one more time to become foster parents. Oh, that's incredible. Thank you. Say that again, John. Sure, sure. There's ch there's a child right now where we live, near where we live, who has given up hope, who's given up hope. And we as foster parents can give hope back to that child. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.